Hello, Wild Wanders, and welcome to our wicked window of the internet. Won't you pour yourself a cup of your best tea, light a candle to stave away the darkness, and cozy up as we tell you a story? Wittershins is a weekly podcast where we will dive into dusty bookshelves and winding darkened pathways looking into stories from folklore, fairy tales, mythology, legend, and beyond. We are accompanied by our trusted bard and guitarist, Joe Saborin, who will be live composing for us as our characters find their way out of the thickets and snarls of their tales. My name is Ashley Nunez, and I will be your narrator to peer over bough and branch, following our heroes and foes into far distant lands, both familiar and unknown. Let us begin once upon a time. The tale of a youth who set out to learn what fear was, or fear not, by the Brothers Grimm. A father had two sons, of whom the eldest was clever and bright and always knew what he was about, but the youngest was stupid and couldn't learn or understand anything. So much so that those who saw him exclaimed, What a burden he'll be to his father! Now, when there was anything to be done, the eldest always had to do it. But if something was required late or in the nighttime, and the way led through the churchyard or some such ghostly place, he always replied, Oh, no, father, nothing will induce me to go there. It makes me shudder, for he was afraid. Or, when they sat of an evening round the fire telling stories which made one's flesh creep, the listeners sometimes said, Oh, it makes one shudder. The youngest sat in a corner, heard the exclamation, and could not understand what it meant. They're always saying it makes one shudder, it makes one shudder. Nothing makes me shudder. It is probably an art quite beyond me. Now it happened that his father said to him one day, Hearken, you there in the corner. You're growing big and strong, and you must learn to earn your own bread. Look at your brother, what pains he takes, but all the money I've spent on your education is thrown away. My dear father, he replied, I I will gladly learn. In fact, if it were possible, I should like to learn to shudder. I don't understand that a bit yet. (laughs) The eldest laughed when he heard this and thought to himself, Good heavens, what a ninny my brother is. He'll never come to any good. As the twig is bent, so is the tree inclined. The father sighed and answered him, You'll soon learn to shudder, but that won't help you to make a living. Shortly after this, when the sexton came to pay them a visit, the father broke out to him and told him what a bad hand his youngest son was at everything. He knew nothing and learnt nothing. Only think, when I asked him how he purposed gaining a livelihood, he actually asked to be taught to shudder. If that's all he wants, said the sexton, I can teach him that. Just you send it to me. I'll soon polish him up. The father was quite pleased with this proposal because he thought it will be a good discipline for the youth. And so the sexton took him into the house and his duty was to toll the bell. After a few days, he woke him up at midnight and bade him rise up and climb into the tower and toll. Now, my friend, 
I'll teach you to shudder, thought he. He stole forth secretly in front, and when the youth was up above and had turned round to grasp the bell rope, he saw standing opposite the hole of the belfry a white figure. Who's there? he called out. But the figure gave no answer, and neither stirred nor moved. Answer, cried the youth, or be gone. You've no business here at this hour of the night. But the sexton remained motionless, so that the youth might think it was a ghost. The youth called out a second time, What do you want here? Speak if you are an honest fellow, or I'll knock you down the stairs. Sexton thought he can't mean that in earnest, so gave forth no sound and stood as though he were made of stone. Then the youth shouted out to him the third time, and as that too had no effect, he made a dash at the specter and knocked it down the stairs so that it fell upon ten steps and remained lying at the corner. Thereupon, he told the bell, went home to bed without saying a word, and fell asleep. The sexton's wife waited a long time for her husband, but he never appeared. At last, she became anxious and woke the youth and asked, Don't you know where my husband is? He went up to the tower in front of you. No, answered the youth, but someone stood up on the stairs up there, just opposite the trap door of the belfry, and because he wouldn't answer me or go away, I took him for a rogue and knocked him down. You'd better go and see if it was he. I should be much distressed if it were. The wife ran and found her husband, who was lying groaning in a corner with his leg broken. She carried him down, then hurried with loud protestations to the youth's father. Your son has been the cause of a pretty misfortune, she cried. He threw my husband downstairs so that he broke his leg. Take the good-for-nothing wretch out of our house. The father was horrified hurried to the youth and gave him a scolding. What unholy pranks are these? The evil one must have put them into your head. Father, he replied, only listen to me. I am quite guiltless. He stood there in the night like one who meant harm. I did not know who he was and warned him three times to speak or to be gone. Ugh, groaned the father. You'll bring me nothing but misfortune. Get out of my sight. I won't have anything more to do with you. Yes, father, willingly. Only wait till daylight, then I'll set out and learn to shudder, and in that way I shall be master of an art which will gain me a living. Learn what you will, said the father. It's all one to me. Here are fifty dollars for you set forth into the wide world with them, but see and tell no one where you come from or who your father is, for I am ashamed of you. Yes, father, whatever you wish. If it's all you ask, I can easily keep it in mind. When day broke, the youth put the forty dollars into his pocket, set out on the hard high road, and kept muttering to himself, If only I could shudder. If only I could shudder. Just at that moment, a man came by who heard the youth speaking to himself, and when they had gone on a bit and were in sight of the gallows, the man said to him, Look! There's the tree where seven people have been hanged and are now learning to fly. Sit down under it and wait till nightfall, and then you'll pretty soon learn to shudder. If that's all I have to do, answered the youth, it's easily done. But if I learn to shudder so quickly, then you shall have my fifty dollars. Just come back to me tomorrow morning early. Then the youth went to the gallows tree and sat down underneath it and waited for the evening. And because he felt cold, he lit himself a fire. 
But at midnight, it got so chill that in spite of the fire, he couldn't keep warm, and so as the wind blew the corpses one against the other, tossing them to and fro, he thought to himself, if you're perishing down here by the fire, how those poor things up there must be shaking and shivering. And because he had a tender heart, he put up a ladder which he climbed, unhooked one body after the other, and took down all the seven. Then he stirred the fire, blew it up, placed them all round in a circle, then they might warm themselves. But they sat there and did not move, and the fire caught their clothes. Then he spoke, take care, or I'll hang you up again. But the dead men did not hear and let their rags go on burning. Then he got angry and said, if you aren't careful yourselves, then I can't help you, and I don't mean to burn with you. And he hung them up again in a row, and then he sat down at his fire and fell asleep. On the following morning, the man came to him and wishing to get his fifty dollars, said, Now you know what it is to shudder. No, he answered. How should I? Those fellows up there never opened their mouths and were so stupid that they let those few old tatters they have on their bodies burn. Then the man saw he wouldn't get his fifty dollars that day and went off, saying... Well, I'm blessed if I ever met such a person in my life before. The youth, too, went on his way and began to murmur to himself, Oh, if I could only shudder. If I could only shudder. A carrier who was walking behind him heard these words and asked him, Who are you? I don't know, said the youth. Where do you hail from? I don't know. Who's your father? I mayn't say. "'What are you constantly muttering to yourself?' "'Oh,' said the youth, "'I would give worlds to shudder, but no one can teach me.' "'Stuff and nonsense,' said the carrier. "'Come along with me, and I'll soon put that right.' "'The youth went with the carrier, and in the evening they reached an inn, "'where they went to spend the night. "'Then, just as he was entering the room, he again said quite aloud, "'Oh, if only I could shudder. "'If only I could shudder.' The landlord, who heard this, laughed and said, If that's what you're sighing for, you shall be given every opportunity here. Oh, hold your tongue, said the landlord's wife. So many people have paid for their curiosity with their lives. If it were a thousand pities if those beautiful eyes were never again to behold daylight. But the youth said, No matter how difficult, I insist on learning it. Why, that's what I've set out to do. He left the landlord no peace till he told him in the neighborhood stood a haunted castle where one could easily learn to shudder if one only kept watch in it for three nights. The king had promised the man who dared to do this thing his daughter as his wife, and she was the most beautiful maiden under the sun. There was also much treasure hidden in the castle, guarded by evil spirits, who would be free of them, and was sufficient to make a poor man more than rich. Many had already gone in, but so far none had ever come out again. So the youth went to the king and spoke, If I were allowed, I should much like to watch for three nights in the castle. The king looked at him, and because he pleased him, he said... You can ask for three things, none of them living, and those you may take with you into the castle. Then he answered, well, I shall beg for a fire, a turning lathe, and a carving bench with the knife attached. 
On the following day, the king had everything put into the castle, and when night drew on, the youth took up his position there, lit a bright fire in one of the rooms, placed the carving bench with the knife close to, and sat himself down on the turning lathe. Oh, if only I could shudder, he said. But I shan't learn it here either. Towards midnight, he wanted to make up the fire, and as he was blowing up a blaze, he heard a shriek from a corner. How, how cold are we? <laughs> you fools, he cried. Why do you scream? If you're cold, come and sit here at the fire and warm yourselves. And as he spoke, two huge black cats sprang fiercely forward and sat down, one on each side of him, and gazed wildly at him with their fiery eyes. After a time, when they had warmed themselves, they said, Friend, shall we play a little game of cards? Why not, he replied. But first, let me see your paws. When they stretched out their claws, he said, Ha! What long nails you've got. Wait a minute, I must first cut them off. Thereupon, he seized them by the scruff of their necks, lifted them onto the carving bench, and screwed down their paws firmly. After watching you narrowly, said he, I no longer feel any desire to play cards with you. And with these words, he struck them dead and threw them out into the water. But when he had thus sent the two of them to their final rest, and was again about to sit down at the fire, out of every nook and corner came forth black cats and black dogs with fiery chains and such swarms that he couldn't possibly get away from them. They yelled in the most ghastly manner, jumped upon his fire, scattered it all, and tried to put it out. He looked on quietly. But when it got beyond a joke, he seized his carving knife and called out, Be off, you rabble rout, and let fly at them. Some of them fled away, and the others he struck dead and threw them out into the pond below. When he returned, he blew up the sparks of the fire once more and warmed himself, and as he sat thus, his eyes refused to keep open any longer, and a desire to sleep stole over him. Then he looked around him and beheld in the corner a large bed. The very thing, he said, and laid himself down on it. But when he wished to close his eyes, the bed began to move by itself and ran all around the castle. Capital, he said, only a little quicker. Then the bed sped up as if drawn by six horses over a threshold and stairs up this way, down that, and all of a sudden, crash, crash! With a bound, it took over, upside down, and lay like a mountain on top of him. But he tossed the blankets and the pillows in the air, emerged from underneath, and said, Now anyone who has the fancy for it may go on a drive. Lay down at his fire and slept till daylight. In the morning, the king came, and when he beheld him lying on the ground, he imagined the ghosts had been too much for him and that he was dead. And he said... What a pity, and such a fine fellow he was. The youth heard this, got up and said, It's not come to that yet. Then the king was astonished, but very glad, and asked him how it had fared with him. First rate, he answered, and now I've survived the one night, I shall get through the other two also. The landlord, when he had went to him, opened his wise-eyed and said, well, I never thought to see you alive again. Have you learnt now what shuddering is? No, he replied, it's quite hopeless. If someone could only tell me how to. 
The second night, he went up again to the old castle, sat down at the fire, and began his old refrain, If only I could learn to shudder. As midnight approached, a noise and din broke out, at first gentle, but gradually increasing. Then all was quiet for a minute. And at length, with a loud scream, half of a man dropped down the chimney and fell before him. Hi up there, shouted he. There's another half wanting down here, and that's not enough. Then the din commenced once more, and there was a shrieking and a yelling, and the other half fell down. Wait a bit, he said. I'll stir up the fire for you. When he had done this, and again looked round, the two pieces had united, and a horrible-looking man sat on his seat. Come, said the youth, I didn't bargain for that. The seat is mine. When the man tried to shove him away, but the youth wouldn't allow it for a minute, and pushing him off by force, sat down in his place again. Then more men dropped down, one after the other, who fetched nine skeleton legs and two skulls, put them up, and played nine pens with them. The youth thought he would like to play, too, said, Now, look, look here, do you mind me joining the game? No, not if you have money. I have money enough, he replied, but, but, but your balls aren't very round. Then he, then he took the skulls, placed them on his lathe, and turned them till they were round. Now they'll roll along better, said he, and hoopla, now the fun begins. He played with them and lost some of his money, but then twelve struck everything vanished before him. He lay down and slept peacefully. The next morning... The king came, anxious for news. "'How have you got on this time?' he asked. "'I played nine pins,' he answered, and lost a few pence. "'Didn't you shudder, then?' "'No such luck,' said he. "'I made myself merry. "'Oh, if only I knew what it was to shudder.' "'On the third night, he sat down again on his bench "'and said in the most desponding way, "'If only I could learn to shudder. "'When it got late,' Six big men came in carrying a coffin. Then he cried, ha, There's more likely my little cousin who only died a few days ago, and beckoning with his finger, he called out, Come, my small cousin, come! They placed the coffin on the ground, and he approached it and took off the cover. In it lay a dead man. He felt his face, and it was cold as ice. Wait, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll heat you up a bit, and went to the fire warmed his hand and laid it on the man's face, but the dead remained cold. Then he lifted him out, sat him down on the fire, laid him on his knee, and rubbed his arms that the blood should circulate again. When that too had no effect to him, that if two people lay together in a bed they warm each other, so he put him into the bed, covered him up, and lay down beside him, and after a time the corpse became warm and began to move. Then the youth said, "'Now, my little cousin,' What would have happened if I hadn't warmed you? But the dead man rose and cried out, Now I will strangle you. What? said he. Is, is that the thanks I get? You shall be put straight back into your coffin. Lifted him up and threw him in and closed the lid. Then the six men came and carried him out again. I simply can't shudder, he said, and it's clear I shan't learn it in a lifetime here. Then a man entered of a more ordinary size, and of a very fearful appearance, but he was old and had a white beard. 
Oh, you miserable creature. Now you will sure know what it is to shudder. For you must die. Not, not so quickly, answered the youth. If I am to die, you must catch me first. I shall soon lay hold of you, spoke the monster. Gently, gently, don't boast too much. I'm as strong as you and stronger too. We'll soon see, said the old man, if you're stronger than I. Then I'll let you off. Come, let's have a try. Then he led him through some dark passage to a forge, and grasping an axe, he drove down one of the anvils with a blow into the earth. I can do better than that, cried the youth, and went to the other anvil. The old man drew near him in order to watch closely, and his white beard hung right down. Then the youth seized the axe, cleft the anvil open, and jammed in the old man's beard. Now I'll have you, said the youth, this time it's your turn to die. Then he seized an iron rod and belabored the old man till he, whimpering, begged him to leave off and he would give him great riches. The youth drew out the axe and let him go. The old man led him to the back of the castle and showed him in the cellar three chests of gold. One of these, he said, belongs to the poor, one to the king, and the third is yours. At that moment, twelve struck and the spirit vanished, leaving the youth alone in the dark. I'll surely be able to find a way out, said he, and groping about. He at length found his way back to the room and fell asleep at the fire. The next morning, the king came and said, Well, now you've surely learned to shudder. No, he answered. What, what can it be? My dead cousin was there, and an old bearded man came in who showed me heaps of money down there below, but... What shuddering is, no one has told me. Then the king spoke. You have freed the castle from its curse, and you shall marry my daughter. That's all charming, he said, but I still don't know what it is to shudder. Then the gold was brought up, and the wedding was celebrated. But the young king, though he loved his wife dearly and thought he was very happy, still kept on saying, shudder. At last he reduced her to despair, then her maid said, I'll help you. We'll soon make him shudder. So she went to the stream that flowed through the garden and had a pail full of little fish brought to her. At night, when the young king was asleep, his wife had to pull the clothes off him and pour the pail full of little fish all over him so that they swam all about him. Then he awoke and cried out, Oh, how I shudder, how I shudder, dear wife. Yes, now I know what shuddering is. Well, hello, dear listeners. Um, we were not really anticipating that this podcast was going to be anything other than storytelling, but as soon as we finished the final notes of Fear Not, we spent probably the last 15 minutes having really rapid, interesting conversation about it and decided, hmm, maybe we should turn on the microphones. 
So I think we're going to have a little chat about it. Um, I am Ashley, your narrator. And I am Joe, uh, your bard. This will be one of the few moments that Joe will speak. So. You get to hear what my voice sounds like <laughs> as opposed to my guitar and breathing. So, all right, a little kind of interesting backstory with Fear Not. Um, so it is a grim story. Uh, if you are familiar with Grimm, you'll note that they have a lot of different ways that they have told and recorded stories. Different people's translations are going to kind of give you different feels. But there's sort of the very classic, uh, I don't know, blueprint, I guess you could say, of how a Grimm story is done. Um, you're looking at your story arcs. You're looking at the trials of three that people go through. It tends to have either a you know, classic fairy tale ending, if not a little bit dark, or a more sort of interesting subversive ending, which happens a lot in folk tales, um, as you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, the folk and fairy tale traditions come a lot from oral speaking. So sometimes people will, in order to start a story, will begin with the once upon a time. It's a way to get you into a space that is outside of the here and now it's in this sort of between space um, that is not really a part of time, but is, and some of them will end with this weird sort of, I need to check up on them or strange phrase. It's, it's a way to kind of snap you out of the story space and get back into reality. So these are sort of classic grim and folk tactics. Um, and Fear Not kind of does a little bit of both, which is interesting and why we started having these conversations. It's a very weird story that I actually wasn't familiar with. This is the second This is the second story that I've been unfamiliar with and also the second episode. So we're 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 on a good track record for me knowing the story I'm I'm live composing to. Um it doesn't really follow the regular kind of rule of three uh, storytelling beats. It doesn't really, nothing really pays off at the end of the story. There's no thing set up in the beginning that pays off in the end, things like that. Um, so it's it's very interesting, especially in a world where we've seen uh, media that has gone for the subversive, uh, you know, forget your expectations, we're going to go a totally different direction um, sort of style of storytelling. Um, this does that, but without a point. <laughs> it, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I think both of us were kind of looking at each other as we were reading it. Um, the reason we chose it is I just really like it. It's something that I think is really fun and interesting. It's very whimsical. Um, I think, you know, for the purposes of discussion, we will refer to other forms of media that we have no affiliation with whatsoever because we have no affiliation whatsoever. But uh, The Storyteller as a series is wonderful and I highly recommend all of you watch it. But they have a version of Fear Not. Um, it does follow the grim pretty well I mean it definitely changes it because it's meant to be a visual media it's not meant to just be something that you read but it's based on this idea of a storyteller is telling you the story of fear not um 
in the actual episode, it definitely, it cuts some of the sort of extraneous pieces. So you lose the, the little side quest with the sexton. Um, it's replaced by this little in the woods kind of whimsical thing. Um, and the character of fear not goes off on his own, but ends up meeting with this sort of sidekick character who is the one that sort of ushers him along and makes him a kind of hero, um, where he, you know, defeats this bog monster and gets riches and gets known as someone who like, you know, does these wonderful things. And then they sort of start off on this little journey where they end up at the castle and the sorts of things that I read do happen to him. Um, but it is effectively just one night. It's not over the course of three. Um, the thing that I like about fear not is that subversion in the end with the grim version where, you know, all of this stuff happens to him. He gets the riches, he gets the loving wife, he becomes king, and he still is just so upset that he doesn't know how to shudder. That's the only thing that he talks about. And in the end, you have the maid just throw a bucket of fish on him, and that, like, ends the story. That's the whole, the reason he goes out is to learn what, like, learn how to shudder, and the receipt of that is a bucket of fish. Uh, he could care less about getting the fair maiden and getting the riches and becoming the most powerful ruler in the kingdom. He just wants to effectively know what it's like to feel fish squirm all over you. Um, in the storyteller, uh, <laughs> in the storyteller, he uh, goes back home with all the riches, and his beloved, who is you know introduced in the beginning has fallen ill because he's gone. So he goes and sees her sick and is scared and, you know, upset that she's going to die. And that's where he learns what fear is. She wakes up. He's happy. Everyone's happy. It's a beautiful, happy ending. It's no bucket of fish. I've just realized why I hate this character so much. Um, it's so hard to, to tell a story... Well, no, it's very easy to tell a story about a character who doesn't get changed at all, but it's not a compelling story. Um, it's it's hard to score that character. It's hard to um, to add musicality and add all this motion to it when when we did um, the Juniper Tree. Um, it was so easy to to score. Uh, Toward the end, um, the the evil stepmother or mother starts feeling this like anxious moment, and it, it there's this like corkscrew of dread that gets turned into it, and that's something you felt. That's something I can I I can write. Um, when you don't have a character feeling any of these things, it's so hard to score it. This is why they left Tom Bombadil out of the Lord of the Rings movies. We're not going to talk about Tom Bombadil on this. Because he, <laughs> he just doesn't care <laughs> about anything. And Fear Not is so... This is the connection I've just made. You can't have a character who is young to middling age that doesn't care about anything. It, it's yeah, so I mean, hard to do. And it is true. He really doesn't. I mean, at every part of the story that happens... He just doesn't care. Like, everything is sort of... I mean, there's this weird kind of, like, commentary in a way, I guess you could say, where 
you know, he still has this kind of barometer of decency and how a person ought to behave. And he still complies with those things, but he doesn't care about the usual sort of things like making his way in the world and like paying for his bread or, you know, having having a job or like, you know, anything like that. But he still has these basic things of human decency that he holds even um, ghosts and uh, demon cats and dead people to a standard um so it, you know it's this it's this really interesting sort of backwards logic and i think that's really one of the reasons why i really wanted to read the story but it it was something i mean joe and i were looking at each other while i'm reading and he's composing and we're both just kind of like what's going on and you know there's moments where you know there's discordance but that's because there's this interesting discordance in the story overall so one of the uh, beautiful elements of live, semi-live recorded entertainment is um, you don't know what's going to happen. We're not plotting this out. You know, these are stories that I've read before. Um, I do not practice them, though. I pick up the book and I flip through and what you hear is what I do. And then with some of these, Joe's heard them before or maybe he hasn't or maybe he's heard them in different ways. So in some ways I have a little bit more of an insider peek at how things are going to go. I Um, just learned this week that sometimes you get done with a grim story and you look at your partner and say, what was any of that? (laughs) There, there's a story that I, I highly recommend. We probably won't do it here because it's such a, it's such a mess of a story. Uh, called the strange musician by the brothers Grimm. And I read it the other day while we were doing research. Um, because, uh, I am I am incredibly on brand and that I will want to. And do he the story. is a strange musician. I will want to do the story with the strange musician because it 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 fits. And um, just in reading it, I got to the end and I was like, nothing changed, nothing happened. If this story this story is unremarkable, Fear Not is a character who, if the story was told today, you would get to the end and they'd be like. And Fear Not was either Jacob Grimm's self-insert character or some sort of supernatural being who'd always been there for years and years and years, and that's why he doesn't care. And this is the quality of content that you're not paying for right now. (laughs) (laughs) I just write the music. But that's the thing is, um, that's what made this this one was tough. Uh, I I didn't really know the story beats. I've seen the Storyteller episode uh, once. Um... And I haven't really dug into Grimm as much as I... I, I know the, the big Grimm stories. and um, Cinderella and uh, Sleeping Beauty's Grimm? You know, those other classic Grimm questionable tales. Uh, um, and I, I've listened to a lot of fairy tales. But once we get off the beaten path, it's a very, very fascinating world to be in. And welcome to uh, Wittershins, where we are exclusively off the beaten path. <laughs> I'm going to need to do uh, a lot of research. Uh, I don't think we will necessarily always have commentary, but who knows? It's only episode two. Everything is up in the air at this point. Um, you know, we don't necessarily want this to be a situation where 
we are deeply analyzing every story we read. But I think that there's certain ones that have a certain remarkable nature to them. Fear not being one because it's just so peculiar. Um, so we'll, we'll see how this goes and we'll, we'll kind of keep, you know, this sort of dual posting occasionally as we find we end an episode and have a lot of things we want to talk about. Um, but I think that there's going to be a lot of really fun and interesting things. You know, we're not exclusively going to be in the land of Grimm, although of course we have been for the first two, but we are plotting some other rather interesting stories. And we love to hear from you guys about what you want to hear more of, um, who your favorite, um, very, very old writers who are writing uh, folk tales and fairy tales, um, stuff you think that we should should cover and live compose to. Um, if you really like these discussions at the end of the episodes, let us know. If you want to hear more about my theories on Tom Bombadil, I am here for you. That costs extra. That's that's a special tier on Patreon. <laughs> Can we have a tier on Patreon that's just like get audio file of Joe ranting about Tom Bombadil? Because I will, I'll, I'll make that file. <laughs> we both do have Patreons. Um, there isn't one specifically for Wittershins, but if you are really interested in following along, um, the one that you can find and where sort of we'll be building up a little community for it will be through um, Old Garth Alchemy, which is my work um so be patreon.com slash old growth alchemy and you can find my patreon at uh, patreon.com slash joe music um, which is also uh joe music is where you can find um, my instagram and uh if you use facebook and also my website uh, which is joseborn.com and so twitter you, and tw- I, i'm on twitter uh twitter does not work well for musicians i'm finding but we're gonna we're gonna see how it goes all of my my random scattered thoughts at three in the morning end up there. <laughs> and Wittershins just joined Twitter. So we'll, uh, we'll be having some interesting, lively conversations there, but uh, we definitely want to have this as a conversation, you know, like, what did you think about fear? Not what did you think about sort of the subversion of expectation within fairy tales? Uh, do you like the rule of three? You know, there's, there's a lot to be said. This isn't going to be an analytical podcast by any means, although I partially would maybe like that, but this is going to be just examining stories, having fun. Uh, we'll have the commentary as a little side quest that you can explore, um, along with some episodes when we want to talk a little bit deeper on it. Um, and we'll also be posting some exclusives on our Patreon the related to Wittershins. So definitely make sure you're following along there. Um, and yeah, we just hope to see you next time. Next time. Are we doing, are we doing Grimm again next week? What do you, uh, we're not going to do Grimm. Um, we have a couple actually more modern authors that we'll be looking at and exploring, um, you know, some, so we're, you know, this isn't just going to be old fairy tales and old folk tales and, myths and legends there's happens to be a podcast about that already um we are going to be looking at just different things that kind of go against the grain you know we're not going to be reading like your classic cinderellas or things like that we want things that are a little bit darker a little bit like you know things that go wittershins that's the whole idea behind the name it's things that go against the grain that you have to kind of look at slantwise a little bit cross-eyed to make sense of it um so, you know, we'll be going also just across the decades and the, you know, hundreds of years. There's no going to 
there's not going to be any specific time that we're looking at. This is her way of saying that next week's Deep Cut Poe Week, we're going to do some some fun stuff from Edgar Allan Poe next week. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to reveal it, but now that it's out of the bag. Uh, yeah, next week, Deep Cut Poe. Um, tune in, same time, same podcast stream. Wittershins is created by Ashley Nunez of Old Growth Alchemy and folk musician Joe Saborin in the presence of their curious cat Django, a few too many half-drunk cups of tea, and far too many begrudgingly half-completed art projects. If you'd like to follow along Joe and his musical machinations, you can find him at Joe Saborin Music on Facebook and Instagram, or joesaborin.com. For more glimpses into the wild woods of story, botanical libations, and central ephemera, you can find me, Ashley, at Old Growth Alchemy on Facebook and Instagram, or at oldgrowthalchemy.com. Or you can become patrons to us both on Patreon. Until next time, friends new and old, we'll be sure to keep the kettle on with a seat open for you by the fire. Mm